This is BTS with CTV Behind the Scenes, Behind the Stories we bring you from the CTV Vancouver Newsroom. My name is Penny Dalfos and I'll be your guide behind the curtain of a first-of-its-kind business for Vancouver, a brothel for sex dolls. Silicone lifelike dolls for rent at $90 per half hour at Bella Dolls, which bills itself as Western Canada's first sex doll brothel. The Bella Dolls website lists details about each model, including cup size and some personal attributes. Naomi will brighten your evening. Rachel has great assets. There's tons of clients and interested customers. Men have these fantasies and they do want to fulfill these fantasies. At first blush, it may sound bizarre but essentially harmless. Then a closer look at the Bella Dolls website and you read, if you're looking for pure indulgence, absolute freedom, and a way to make all your fantasies reality, then Bella Dolls is the only place to be. We offer you an experience like no other, one where you are in complete control. Advocates are concerned this brothel literally reduces women to objects. Making this a serious topic for both journalistic scrutiny and discussion as a society. At the end of the day, men can look at women just as things without feelings um, that can be used and reused as however they please. Reporter John Woodward joins me now. Thank you so much for coming back on BTS with CTV. Thanks very much for having me. Did you ever think in your career that the words sex doll brothel would come out of your mouth in a script for broadcast? I got into this business, I guess, to to pick up rocks and see what was under them and and uh, explore wrongdoing in all kinds of places. Who would have thought it would bring me to a sex doll brothel, I guess? No, I guess the answer to your question is I did not think that this would be my job ever, least of all, uh, last week on Wednesday. This is one of those stories that it spawned a lot of jokes, a lot of discussion. It's obviously going to be a clickbait headline, no matter how we word it. Uh, but at the end of the day, you actually ended up doing a really serious story um, on a number of aspects to do with something that started with one of our um, online employees noticing some some posters up for this business coming to the city. Yeah, that's right. It, it's all, I mean, it, like I say, when I, I do a course at Langara and I say the story is what you make of it, every story is an investigative story. And every story, if you think about it hard enough or look at it from any different angle, there's always an interesting question that you can ask. And so, uh, yeah, Andrew Weichel from our online desk saw this poster. Uh, I think it was relatively close to the newsroom. It might have even been on Robson Street. He took a picture and he sent it into the newsroom, And at which point, you know, uh, our, our uh, news radar, if you will, our news dar is governed by a lot of things, but just something jumped out. Are you serious? A sex doll brothel in this city? And a quick Google, yeah, that's not a joke. These things exist. These things already exist in Toronto. It caused a big stir. They've been up there for a long time in Germany and Japan. This is not a joke. This is very much part of our city now. And that means we've got to start wrestling with what that means. Um, And so, you know, the story evolved over the day. The very first thing we did is we noticed that another competitor had... Uh, also was also working on it, so we had to get something up quick, which was just the bare bones. This There's a poster out there advertising this um, phenomenon, and it's definitely not the first time we've seen that. But then that meant, after that, what I really wanted to do was figure out who's behind it, what's, what's the situation, is it legal, uh, and, and what, this, you know, what this means for the city. 
And every reporter, I think, that gets an assignment like this is going to approach it from a different angle because we have our own expertise, we have our own interests. And, and of you, of course, you being the digger that you are, you started looking into whether these people even had a business license. I love that that was one of the first places that your mind went because other people, I'm thinking sanitary conditions and all sorts of things, but one of the first things you did was to see if they were even registered. Yeah, and, and that's, I mean, I'll do that a little bit selfishly. One of the ways you can find out a little bit more about who's behind a venture is find their license and, and see whether it's registered and who's behind it and so on. So, so that was done in service of, of, a, greater, uh, of a greater good, but um, we, we uh, were looking at a, a lot of the impacts. I mean, there's not just the business licenses, which is just what the city says, you know, can you do this and what category are you in? But also, you mentioned health concerns. That's actually a really big one. These are devices, I guess, that are shared between people, not unlike... Uh, you know, plates at a restaurant, for example. And if you have a dirty plate, that is an opportunity for some kind of infection to be transitioned from place to place. So the next place I looked was Vancouver Coastal Health. They are the, they're the uh, bureaucracy that has a number of inspectors that regularly check out anything from restaurants to daycares to, to the kind of places that you want to make sure inspected. You want to make you want to have some government agency making sure that device is clean. If this is hey, if this is a reality in our city, you gotta you gotta live up to certain sanitary standards. So I'm dying to know, were you their first call on this? Like had they heard about that? Because I've had other stories where I've called and so you're not gonna believe the sentence that's gonna come out of my mouth next, but were, did you let them know that this was a thing? Uh yeah, yeah. Vancouver also said, are, are you sure? We we don't have on our list of our inspectors anybody going to a sex doll brothel. Said, well, okay, it's it's a thing. Um, I also was. I wish I could say I was the first person to call the city, but I mean, I, I think everybody. There was sort of a stampede of reporters doing this, so I wasn't the first one to call the city. But I did call Vancouver Coastal Health first, and they. I was pretty surprised because they said, "No, nope, we we don't have anything on this. We're not planning on inspecting it," which is a sign that, if not that they are that there's something uh, potentially dirty about the establishment just that they are not operating above the table above board and so that's that's if you're a customer how the regulators are treating whatever facility it is are, is definitely a warning sign and a, a real uh, something you should be really interested in no matter what facility you're going to and maybe i'm being a little bit cheeky here but I- Oftentimes, entrepreneurial spirits uh, outstrip and outthink um, regulators and inspectors because I can't imagine that the city or, or Vancouver Coastal Health would have had a plan in place for something like this should a sextile brothel open in Vancouver because we've never had anything even remotely like this. And, and to figure out what you're going to do based on a, a reporter's question, like I, I imagine that they didn't have an answer for you that day about what their plan would be or if they would even, uh, I mean, I guess th- that's a good question for you is can anybody pull the brakes on something like this is in, in your research what did you find out in terms of how this how business like this can operate yeah it's it's a tough one right because it fits in between a different uh, different uh, cracks in in whatever regulatory system you're looking at so if you are if it's a real brothel well those people are have already figured out loopholes and so on but you would expect that to be something like a massage parlor at the city level i know the current city council has tried to bring them out in the open with mixed success so you're looking for something like that because over time those people know you need it you need a kind of at least a cover a, a fig leaf if you will of a of a of a city license so that you can keep going um and so that that was that was one of the major questions that i wanted to answer 
but for there are legitimate health concerns. So I imagine that this this is one of those stories that would have gotten the ball rolling in terms of what do you do? What kind of standards do you set? Do they open for one day in order to break some sort of, of health code uh, violations uh, in order for them to then be shut down? Like it's actually really complicated in terms of health officials. What do you do in the face of something like this? Uh, yeah, well, the, the health uh, first step for Vancouver Coastal Health is to know the thing existed. Mm-hmm. And now they do. I'm actually interested. Maybe they are doing some digging to figure out where the so-called Bella Dolls mansion is. That's interesting. Um, but the, the legality of it for, you know, prostitution has said it's the only oldest profession. So th- this is nothing new for our regulators. The thing that's new is the technology. And most of the reason those laws exist for, for you know, be, looking at a very big bird's eye perspective, but most of the reason those laws exist are to protect the vulnerable people who are involved in the trade. And in this case, there are no vulnerable people involved in the trade. The, the job of the prostitute or the sex worker, if you will, has been automated. But in this case, the tagline for this business is actually what put your story in a completely different direction. Because wasn't it that there are no limits? And what was the actual... Uh yeah, that's true. So uh, to follow this thought along, one of the things that maybe protects someone in the in the prostitution business is the human dignity of one of, of their customers. There's some respect. And I know in, in my travels, I've talked to several sex workers and, and they get a, a good sense of who their customers are and who to go with and who not to go with. Um, but if you are not dealing as a customer, you're not dealing with a woman, but you're dealing with an object. In a way, they've literally reduced the women to objects in this, which is something that I thought was a really good point. One of our interview subjects brought up, what's the limit? You know, you can start to think about some really negative things that could be done to an object. And is that, it's not obviously not wrong, you're not hurting a person in the act, but what does that say about what we're permitting uh, to, uh, to that object? And what does that possibly train that customer to do later on in life? Is this, are we encouraging a fantasy here that could result in a real woman getting injured down the line? And that's a really tough one because I think anybody can look at this issue and say, okay, if somebody is violent and aggressive, maybe they're taking that out in a way that they would never then do in real life. If they're taking that out on an inanimate object, does that remove the risk from society? Or like you say, are you training someone to say that this is an acceptable form of behavior that they've now actualized physically in real life as opposed to perhaps mentally. And then you get into this world of now we've got people who've physically potentially have assaulted a stand-in for a real woman. Does then that somehow excuse or encourage that behavior kind of down the road? And that's why I thought the advocates that you found um, for sex workers and for women were brought up some really legitimate points. Yeah, I mean, if if I was running this business... And just advertising it as is, I could see that somebody coming in and abusing one of my dolls would be a bad for business, might damage the doll. I would not want to, I, would, I wouldn't want to encourage that. But the language that was used on that website was what really caught my attention. It said, free yourself of the restrictions of a real partner. And they don't, out and, they don't come out and say it, but one of the serious restrictions in real sex it, forgive this, but is consent. You cannot do something that the other person does not consent to. A sex doll cannot consent to anything. It can't say no. It can't do anything. So if, if this business is encouraging that as part of its business model, if its clientele is, if they are speaking to clientele who are the type of people who want to do this, then I think that is something that we need to ask a lot of questions about. And 
eventually we did get a hold of uh, one of the people working at this Bella Dolls place, and we did ask that question. What was that interview like? Uh, it, I mean, it, it's uh, they did give us uh, what I believe is their real name, so uh, it was it was a just the facts interview. Basically, what are you doing? What are you trying to do? Um, uh, they said they were blown away at the media attention. They didn't think they would get it. They just put up some posters. They weren't even ready to go yet. And uh, I believe it was in November that they're expected to start. Uh, so six sex dolls, uh, $90 per half hour, just asking what what was uh, going on day to day in that business. Um, and then, yeah, then those those kind of more disturbing questions came out. What did you mean when you said this? What does it mean to restrict yourself from the or free yourself from the restrictions of a of real person? And their answer was, look, you know, these are just objects. If somebody owned one of these things, they could do whatever they wanted to it. Um, the fact that we're renting it essentially to this to this customer doesn't change that. They really can do anything. And I said, are you does this mean that you're encouraging this freeing yourself from the restrictions they said oh no 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 so then you know in the reality if if it was your business and if you knew that some kind of abuse like this was happening i asked them what would you do if you saw something like that um and the answer and, and the example that i used was choking i said what would you do if you saw somebody really choking a doll to the point of of damage and they said well we don't encourage it it's about as far as i went you know, I find it such a difficult issue because these dolls are so lifelike. They're incredibly expensive. What are they, like around ten grand? if you wanted to buy one of these? So most people are not going to have access to an object like that. But I think the fact that they are so lifelike is actually what makes it more disturbing. I mean, this is not some, you know, a pillowcase in the shape of a woman or like a pillow. Like these are are meant to be very lifelike. And I think that's what actually takes it to a level of concern. So I don't think it's the same as just saying it is an object when they are, they have a weight, they are um, bendable. They even, this website, I found it absolutely astonishing. They were ascribing personality traits to these dolls. So it's not, they're not even really putting up much of an, of a veneer. One of them, they said that you can take her out for dinner. So the fact that they're trying to make them as lifelike as possible actually totally undermines that argument. Well, that the, one of the, my favorite bits that we put in the story was from um, Dr. Marina Adshade from UBC at the, at the Vancouver School of Economics, who said, you can take one out for dinner. I don't know where you would take them. <laughs> I mean, and I said, what kind of conversation would you have at dinner? It'd be pretty one directional. But so, maybe that's what people want. They just want somebody there to listen, which I, which kind of makes me sad. Yeah, their listening skills are top notch. Hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you know, they're 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 ascribing these these silly silly personality traits. One was a stripper, apparently. I challenge that sex doll to be able to take off her own clothes. <laughs> Not really very uh, sort of sort of accurate in terms of what they're advertising, um, but the but the larger question there is are how how real are they? And I mean, if you watch the story that we did, we felt the need to blur their bodies. That was, I mean, can you imagine if we didn't? They were very very real looking to the casual observer watching the television. They would have said, "What am I watching?" 
generated a lot of discussion in the newsroom because we all wanted to see what was on your computer screen. I sit next to you and I'm like, what is John Woodward doing today? Because they are very lifelike. And that's had somebody just been making dinner at home and glanced up at the TV or not really been paying attention to what was on the newscast for some reason. Or, you know, again, you glance over at your coworker screen to see what the story is. That is how lifelike these dolls are. You would not look at this website or look at this story unedited with your child at home that this is how realistic these dolls are yeah we we knew we said look everything you're about to see is they're not real women but we are blurring them anyway and i i it's a strange decision to make but we i think we had to make it we had to make and we did make the right decision and i actually towards the end of the day so many people kept coming by my computer and say what are you doing I felt like putting a sign up and saying, you know, this is for a story. I'm not a perv. (laughs) I'm not misusing my computers at work, I swear. In a a way, I'm surprised that our our computer system let us look at those things. But uh, I guess they knew it was somehow knew it was for work. And, you know, this is one of those stories where some people may be listening to this podcast and thinking, what's the big deal? You already said that these brothels exist in other cities. So if they're doing it elsewhere, it's not quite normal, but it's not... I mean, you, I, I guess you, you have to say it's unusual, but it's been done before. So why is it a big deal? And I would suggest that each city and each culture is actually really different. And the things that may be acceptable in Tokyo or in, in some other parts of the world may not be acceptable here. And it's really up to our audience to decide how they feel about the subject matter and, and how we cover the topic as well, which I think you did with, with great respect for the potential implications. Yeah. And culture is definitely, definitely a relative thing that you can look at different places on. I, I wanted to explore a little bit more about what the research said uh and we and we got some of the way on on that front but there's the the research i think should really inform us because honestly if you're if you're a average person with no violent sensibilities and and this is one of the things that that helps you deal with you know whatever you're looking for it's it's not two consenting adults in this case it's just one but if you're consenting i i find it hard for us to make a case to put whatever you're doing at this brothel on the news. It's really your private life. But if this doll is used as a way for somebody with more depraved intentions to to act out something before it becomes real, which is the implication in one of those lines on that website, then we really do have to be concerned. And there are uh, people, I've talked to one at CAMH in Toronto, who studies what people with, um, uh, in, in his case, pedophiles, do uh, and, and how the sex dolls can and, and, and can't uh, affect their uh, abil- uh, their their uh, disorders. So it, it, there's some indication, according to him, that that when a pedophile is presented with uh, some object like a like a child doll, which is illegal in Canada, by the way, that's a child pornography problem. So I, I, I guess. Uh, that's something to consider. But there's some research that says being able to have an outlet for that 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 disorder can be helpful. That actually prevents it from becoming a, a, a something that that person would enact in the real world. So there there is some discussion there that uh, that I think is is interesting and it's worth. And weirdly, you know, who would have thought the sex doll brothel poster could have brought us to that uh, area of uh, of interesting research. And if we're being generous about it, there are definitely going to be people out there with crippling anxiety, social anxiety, that maybe this is something, some sort of substitute for human interaction and for a girlfriend where that is not threatening. So I can see from a 
different perspective that this may be helpful to some people. It may be some kind of an outlet. But like you say, when you look at it from the, if you put your pessimist's hat on, it's a really ugly scenario that you can imagine um, potentially being going on behind closed doors, which by the way... (laughs) Speaking of closed doors, the mansion may not be a mansion from what you've discovered. <laughs> that's right. That was when I asked her, I said, where is the mansion? What is it a mansion? And she said, well, that's uh, might not be a mansion. We, we just call it a mansion to make things a bit more exciting. I think is what she said, which I, I thought was it, it shows you, you know, who's doing this. this is a business that I think was, you know, so they came up with one day and they I don't think they thought it through as much as even you and I are thinking it through right now. But I think in answer to your other question, the. This has a lot of potential. It can go different ways uh, depending on the client, depending on what's going on, and and what's really going to I think help us decide what how far how wide ranging we want it to go is the regulation and the inspections and the and the accountability mechanisms. So if if they can say to us, "Yep, we monitor the dolls to see if there's any kind of any kind of real attempts at violence at them." If we see something like that, we would notify the authorities. That would be a step that would, I think, at least partially assuage the concerns of of uh, the people we've been talking to. But then, what does monitoring mean? Right? I mean, that's a whole nother for any clientele. How are you monitoring, and what what does that look like? Yeah. How well exactly? Where how, is there somebody who can solve that problem of uh, both respecting this monitoring program and the and the client's privacy? I'm hoping that there would be some way to inspect this doll, um, but I I have to admit I'm not a regulator. And I don't know the answer to that question. But if if they could say you know we um, you know we do get te- get inspected by Vancouver Coastal Health, that will go a very long way to these concerns about any kind of infection that could be trans transmitted you know they did and to be fair to them they did say we we spent a year i think it was developing the perfect cleaning solution for this doll uh that's great but i i don't know what that cleaning solution is and i would hope that the regulators would be able to at least ask questions about it test it out get an objective second opinion on whether that's effective and then, um, yeah, finally, we, we talked about city inspections, um, Vancouver Coastal. Corporately, we looked at the um, uh, corporate registry in British Columbia to see if their company was registered, and it's not. And that's uh, another sign. If you, have a, if you have a business that's in good standing in the registry, that means you can know more about it. It has a, you know, a mailing address. It, it kind of exists. And this company when I looked at that day, wasn't there. Uh, and it's the kind of thing you'd expect for a company to do uh, if, if they want to be taken seriously in British Columbia. That said, prostitution and sex work-related industries have a long history of not registering precisely because if they do, they get shut down. And then the final thing is this mansion. Where is it? Um, they wouldn't tell us. They wanted to keep it a secret location. Again, I understand why they don't want the neighbors getting angry, the regulators knocking on their door. They want to exist in this gray market. Uh, and it, and I can see from their point of view saying, you have to register, you have to put a sign up in front of your place. That's basically a death knell for this business. So is there a middle ground where, where, they, can, um, where they can interact with some of these regulators while keeping their location secret? Maybe, but uh, you know, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be interested to interview those people who live right next to this mansion and tell me what they think about it. 
uh, barring it going in a warehouse or somewhere that it would be fairly easy to conceal what is actually going on. You know, big nondescript building. Uh, you know, most of the uh, industry is is done during the day. Presumably, these people would be there at night, so that would be fairly easy to conceal. Not much of a mansion again, but there there are ways to to get this done. Yeah, and so that's really interesting. There's there's the two Toronto places. Oradolls was set up in a residential neighborhood, a quasi-residential neighborhood, that angry city councillor determined, after a lot of research, this is in a residential neighborhood, there's a law against that, out you go. And so they had a lot of trouble starting up. Their website seems to indicate they're still operating, but they had to leave that particular place they were in because they lost their lease. But um, the other place uh, decided to operate in a warehouse district and built a condo to the outside you know, viewer, you'd never know anything like that was happening. So that's a solution that enabled them to survive in Toronto and enabled them to expand. So they're actually moving to Houston now, where where they may be the first sex doll brothel in the United States, homegrown from Canada. Interesting. Now, one final thing I wanted to address is that some people probably saw this story on our newscast and thought it was too tawdry, uh, too gross, too pointless to to do a story on. And why are you doing something on something? Just report it to the city, report it to the cops, get it shut down. And I don't want to hear about it. My kids shouldn't have to hear about it. But I would suggest that for the same reason that health officials and regulators can't ignore this, this seems to be the wave of the future, and I'm not talking Blade Runner 2049 that we're going to be that we're on the cusp of that. But increasingly, we are living in an isolated society. It's harder and harder to meet people, or people have more extreme wishes. There's also or there's or simply there's just a, a, a sustainable business model that someone is going to be able to capitalize on. I don't think we can ignore this story, and I don't think we can ignore this issue. So, for us to not do a story about it, I don't think would have served our community either. No, and I, I personally didn't see much commentary from our viewers that said, why are you doing this? This is a waste of my time. Um, but I did see I did see jokes and that kind of thing. So I, I did sense that some people didn't take it seriously. But I would argue, yeah, there is a serious core to this. And the, from the very basic point of view, this is some this is an automation story. This is this is real people whose jobs could be automated. Not right now in a they're not artificially intelligent robots now. But you see the way technology is going. It's, no, it's not very far-fetched to imagine that in a few years you will have a responsive um, silicone robot heated you know, design for pleasure. It's, it's really just around the corner. And in that, we, we need to think about what that world is going to look like. Um, and uh, that professor I mentioned earlier at UBC has done a lot of thinking about what artificially intelligent sex robots would do to society, whether they would be a replacement to a, a human partner. In her position, she thinks it's going to be a complementary situation, that it'll be a kind of world where um, humans are are always going to be attracted to one another, but there may be something uh, that a mechanical sex robot could do to help a marriage, to save some uh, intimacy in that marriage, or to, or to redirect it. Um, the challenge is really going to be, how are we going to do that? What's the program for the robot? Is it going to be reporting to authorities? As you were asking earlier, how would you, how would you report this? Well, if that robot or if that sex doll has, has, has the ability to report, that's maybe part of the answer to that question. So it, it's going to depend on the way we as a society choose to advance in this direction. And I think that's a, that's a phenomenally interesting subject that nobody out there has the answers to. Nobody knows where this way, which way this is going. And this story is that tip of that iceberg. And that's, I think, one of the main reasons that we covered it.
And that's why it's a great story, and I appreciate your thoughtful discussion. Thank you. Thanks very much, Penny. I'd also like to thank Gerald Christensen for his help with archival audio this week, and thank you for joining us on BTS with CTV. Is there a topic you'd like us to cover on a future podcast? Email me, bts at ctv.ca, and if you like what you heard, please subscribe for more insights, tidbits, and the stories behind the stories. I'm Penny Daphlos. Daphlos.